Welcome back to Yes, X or No Audio. Hello, playful pessimists. It is just after five o'clock in the morning on the 11th of June 2023, and here comes another episode of Week in Review. The newsletter this week issued three articles, two of which were about news, and the last of which came from the most oblique of angles at news, and that is the article I will reserve. The first two were the spring counteroffensive has begun in Ukraine, and the second was mindless stupidity, denying historical parallels, undermining core principles and sabotaging economies while accepting corruption. So, of course, the first article was the big news from the week, and that is that the Ukrainian offensive against the occupying Russian forces in the Donbass, well, primarily in Zaporozhye, actually, uh, has begun. And the summary of that story is much as you would expect if you have been following the commentary of Colonel McGregor and Brian Boletic, and that that is that the Ukrainian forces are banging their heads against the very well-dug-in defensive lines of the Russian forces. Why so? Because well-defended defensive positions and the Ukrainians uh, do not have their best fighters because they're either six feet under or they're sufficiently wounded not to be able to partake and they are equipped with a hodgepodge of equipment which makes the training and logistics an absolute nightmare. So things aren't going too well for the Ukrainians, but we're early into this and we'll have to see where it goes. The second article was a desperate attempt to encourage people to listen to an excellent interview done by the Duran with Claire Daly. And I had a lot of fun writing the article as a bit of a puzzle. Some people seem to enjoy that, so thank you very much uh, for the comments about that. Moving along to what other people had to say that I didn't have time to write about very much. And we begin with the headlines from Andy War. Thank you very much, Dave DeCamp, from Andy War, the news editor, for writing such excellent headlines, where the headline tells you what the article is about very clearly. So we begin with Zelensky says Ukraine won't attend NATO summit if not given signal toward membership, followed by Ukraine rejects call to freeze conflict for peace talks. Now, obviously, Zelensky doesn't understand the rules of NATO membership, and he hasn't got his ducks in a row, because you can't be admitted to NATO if there is a conflict going on in your territory. That's the rules. And so, if he's not going to freeze the conflict, he won't get into NATO, and then he won't attend the summit if he isn't given a signal that he's going to get into NATO. This is like, hello, what? Have you, have you actually thought about this or done any research on it? No. Anyway, moving right along, we have Russia says it repelled a large Ukrainian attack in southern Ukraine. All this does is confirm the beginning of the counteroffensive operation. And then we have NATO preparing its largest air deployment exercise in history, which is essentially Germany clubbing up with a few other NATO members to fly a bunch of planes around and look threatening and so forth, which will have no effect whatsoever. And then we have Biden administration announces 2.1 billion weapons package for Ukraine, which amounts to deciding what it is they're going to spend the money on from the money that's already been allocated that's going to go towards the military-industrial complex. Hello. Now we have something far more interesting. Sweden will allow NATO deployments in signal to Russia. I don't think Russia's... Russia will be a little bit annoyed about this, but yeah, whatever. The real issue here is that Sweden is going to say to the US forces, yeah, come and use our little bases and so forth. 
And I really think the Swedes should have a chat to the Japanese, particularly on Okinawa, and say, OK, how does it go when you invite the US forces into, uh, into using bases on your territory? How does that go for you? And the answer is, they never go away. And there are other problems too. So, um, yeah, so I think that's really a story, for the Sw- a story for the Swedish people more than something at a geopolitical level. And then an interesting article titled Republican Senators Introduce End Endless Wars Act to Repeal 2001 AUMF. Now, hats off to the Republicans for actually having a go at this and secondly for a, such a great title for the act, End Endless Wars, good work. Of course, the 2001 AUMF is the authorisation for the use of military force which was passed following the crimes of September the 11th in the US. So, of course, it'll never pass because half the critters, more than half the critters, are funded by the military-industrial complex and so (laughs) it's a busted ass. But hats off to the section of the Republican Party who are actually having a go at this. So hats off to them and well done for the title. Moving right along on the endless wars front, the next target is China, and that is where we move to. So two articles in one one day following the next, US accuses Chinese warship of unsafe manoeuvre in Taiwan Strait, US accuses China of aggressiveness in Taiwan Strait, and they're like, uh, US, if you want to do your little naval patrols and whatever, why don't you do it off the coast of California or the coast of Maine or whatever you want to do, but not off the coast of, of China. We know what you're doing. So that's sort of par for the course. Then we have an interesting one. Pentagon, White House, dismiss Wall Street Journal report on Chinese spy station in Cuba. I thought this was hilarious because essentially this is the Wall Street Journal rolling up China into Cuba, you know, that that little nation that the US has been running an epic economic blockade against for six decades. Yeah, we'll just roll all that together and run the fear flag up the pole and see how that goes. It went so well that the Pentagon and the White House came out and went, not now, we haven't approved that narrative yet. Stop, 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 stop. I, I thought it was hilarious. And then we have US, Taiwan, Japan to share real-time drone surveillance data. So this is what the... Uh, the military dweebs call ISR. That's Information, Surveillance and Reconnaissance. So the drone information is going to be shared not just with Japan, but also Taiwan. And that, of course, will piss off the Chinese to no end because it's in direct contravention to the idea of the One China policy with which the US signed up to back in 1971 or 72, somewhere about there. So it's, yeah, I can understand why the Chinese were a bit pissed with that. And then we have something actually even more interesting. And that is, well, the title of the article is France Objects to NATO Opening Liaison Office in Japan. So let's remember what NATO means. That's North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And Japan is not in the North Atlantic by half a stretch. It's on the other side of the world, on the edge of the Pacific. And the reason that Macron is objecting is Because it's like, we sabotaged our bloody economies by rejecting cheap Russian gas, and we've caused all manner of political problems for ourselves on your behalf, US, in all this 11 rounds of sanctions package, all the crap that we did on your behalf. 
and that hasn't gone well. It's rebounding upon us. Our economies are suffering dreadfully. And now you want us to go and be belligerent against China, who are a major trading partner for us. We can't do this. It's going to kill us economically. So the interesting that there, so there are some fractures happening in NATO, which people have been speaking about. That this whole Ukraine thing, if they then go on and do the China thing, it's going to fracture NATO. That's what's going to happen, um, in my opinion. So France is going. No, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. We'll see where it goes. It'll be. It's actually a changing of government in Germany is going to be the the real turning point, in my view. We'll see. Can they get rid of the bloody Atlanticist Greens? That's the question. Anyway, so that's the summary of the China headlines. And now we move on to Iran, where there's another really interesting one. So first of all, we have Iran reopens embassy in Saudi Arabia, which, of course, is unsurprising. That is the natural consequence of the rapprochement uh, between Iran and Saudi Arabia, established or, or concluded by China, but the initial efforts were done by Russia. The second article is report U.S.-Iran close on or close on interim nuclear deal for sanctions relief. And I thought Iran were a bit over the whole JCPOA thing. You know, they've been negotiating forever in uh, Geneva and the U.S. keeps throwing in clauses that make sure that the Iranians will never agree to whatever is being put forward. But all of a sudden, they're close. Like, what? So I don't quite get this. There's something going on I don't quite understand. It may well be that, that this is part of the internal friction happening in the U.S. about different policy outcomes, which we saw partially through the persecution of Teixeira in the release of the U.S. intel leaks or whatever the hell you want to call that. So we saw there the military and the military intelligence community going, guys, stop this stupidity. We want a different foreign policy approach. And this seems to indicate something of the sort too. I'm not quite sure, but I just thought it was interesting. And lastly, we come to the very interesting uh, article on Iran. And the title is, Iran says it will form naval alliance with Gulf Arab states. And I'm going, what? That's weird. So I had a bit of a scratch of the back of my head and went, ah, I think I understand what's going on. This is essentially China working with Iran to create a counter to the shit that the US is doing to China in the South China Sea by getting the Iranians to do the same shit to the US Fifth Fleet or whatever it is that's that's located in Bahrain, i.e. get the Iranians to have a couple of allies and do freedom of navigation patrols in the Persian Gulf. I don't know that to be the case, but this is this is sort of gut feel. So I thought that was very interesting. Keep your eyes on what happens there. I think this is interesting. Anyway, so that concludes the section on the headlines from Antiwar. And now we move on to what other people had to say that I could not write about. And we begin with Chris Hedges, who writes an article for Shearpost called Dr. Cornell West announces he is running for president, uh, which is all cool and groovy. Like, just imagine that, that Cornell West was the US president. How different a world would that be? Of course, it's never going to happen. And that reminded me of the presidential run by US constitutional law professor Lawrence Lessig. He ran on a single-issue platform, which was to reform the election funding in the U.S., which is one of the sources of corruption in the U.S. political system. And that, of course, comes from 
a discussion that Lessig had years earlier with Aaron Schwartz, who told him, we're never going to get anything done unless we can fix the corruption in politics. And that one of the roots of that is election funding. So that was where Lessig was coming from. Of course, he was never going to succeed because he was completely blocked by the dual you know, uni-party control of the debates and all of the above. And they're showing that in the current round of things with Sleepy Joe is not going to debate anyone because he can't even read his teleprompter and whatever. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting idea. Imagine Cornel West as the president. Of course, it's never going to happen. So moving along, we have two articles by Larry Johnson. And I figure either he's got a lot better at writing his headlines or he's hired an editor. The two articles were, first of all, in response to the counteroffensive having been launched. Ukraine yields to international pressure and launches ill-fated offensive. So, good title there. And the next one's even better. Atlantic Council members redefine crazy with respect to Ukraine. So he's having a lot of fun, obviously. You know, the second article is about the Atlantic Council, which is essentially a narrative policy think tank thing directly under NATO uh, leadership, which means the US, of course. So they were, they were pretty clever. Uh, and then we have something I thought was great fun. And you may recall that on day three or perhaps day four, I think it was day three of the counteroffensive, that this dam got blown up. Well, the, a top section of the dam got blown up to create uncontrolled flooding, but not disastrous flooding. And everyone was talking about that and saying it was them and the other and so forth. And I think the, one of the best opinions came from McGregor, which was, well, there was an awful lot of damage done earlier on. And this looks a bit minor. And then there was the comment by Scott Horton. Napolitano was interviewing him and he went, yeah, you remember that bit of footage that everyone's showing? Yeah, that's not that same dam. That's old footage from something else. So we don't really know what happened. And it doesn't really matter in the end. But the point here was that that was the topic that Tucker Carlson chose for his first episode on Twitter. And the interesting point there was I checked out what the view count was for that. And it's under 24 hours since the episode was published and I took the data at 10 hours 12 minutes 21 seconds UTC on the 7th of June and the view count was 52.6 million which is basically take all of the other cable news shows roll them up together get the sum total of all of their views and this one episode by Tucker Carlson blows them all out of the water so go Tucker Carlson (laughs) so he's really putting them all to shame So it's cool. And the last of this little section is father of Gonzalo Lira, American jailed in Ukraine, speaks out against political imprisonment. And that's by Alexander Rubenstein at the Grey Zone. So good on the Grey Zone for following up on the imprisonment of Lira because that exposes how the US doesn't give a shit about journalistic freedom or any of that, or free speech or any of the above. It's all political. And they can't speak about this because of their ally that's doing the nasties. So hats off to the Grey Zone for following up on that. And now we come to an article that's interesting because of who wrote it and where it was first published. And this was by William J. Astor, who is a retired lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Air Force, who has a degree in Bachelor of Science and then a Master of Arts in the History of Technology and then a degree in Modern History from the Oxford University. And he's a professor of history and a very interesting voice. It was published at his... Substack platform, which is called Bracing Views, and then published in the journal 
Tom Dispatch, which is by Tom Englehart and is a publication I haven't been looking at too much recently, but it's a good publication and worth a look at. It contains essentially mainstream anti-war voices. Uh, and the authors who publish there generally are pretty good authors. You get people like Basevich and so forth. So it's a good site. And Astor's article is not particularly new. It's talking about the end of empire. So the original title was Clinging Bitterly to Guns and Religion, the End Stage of American Empire. And it was republished a second time, this time in Consortium News, where Joe Laurier changed the headline to US in Throes of Unexceptional Imperial Decline. So a bit of clever headline rewriting there by Joe Laurier. And the reason the article is not terribly important is because it's sort of an old theme. I first saw it by Alfred McCoy some years ago, and others have written on it too, such as Hedges. However, the article is really well put together and has excellent referencing, as you would expect from a professor of history. So it's worth checking out from that perspective. I like the way he puts the article together. It goes back to 9-11, it looks at the war on terror, and then it looks at people like Snowden and Daniel Hale. And So it's a really well put together article. Though the topic is not terribly new. And the final article for this section is Kit Clarenberg on his experience getting interrogated for doing journalism. And this is a Scott Horton interview. I haven't listened to this yet, but I will, because Horton's a good interviewer, and it's nice to see a little bit more follow-up on this, which is essentially, from my perspective, a follow-up on the article that was included in last week's Week in Review, which was that by... Craig Murray, in which he speaks of two other journalists as well, who he knows, who were manhandled by the border force of the UK. Finally, we come to the article I've reserved for this week, and that was Automating Common Action with Free Software. And I was flabbergasted. I put this article together as just a little, oh, I was just in the mood, like, all right, I'll just write a little bit about that. That's sort of cool, you know, how do you automate gathering interesting news and eh, whatever. I thought, oh, I'm going to wobble on about Unix and no one's going to be bloody well interested, la, 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 la. And how wrong I was. Thank you very much. But it was amazing the interest that this article generated. So I take that as a sign I should do a little bit more of it now and then. So I will, as inspiration arrives. I am flabbergasted, completely surprised. Thanks a lot. And with that, I will say, hope you're having a good one wherever you are. See you next week. Mm-hmm.